Thank you, worship team. Our text this morning is going to come from the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you. Page 909 is Acts chapter 1. Luke, which we've been studying, is the author of more words in the New Testament than any other writer because he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. More letters came from the Apostle Paul, but more words came from the book of Acts. And so we're in this first chapter. I want to ask a question first. How do you deal with transitions? <laughs> do you like change? Are you the kind of person like you can see change coming and you're just doing everything you can not to have it? Or you could be one of these people, you just embrace change. You like, you kind of eat it like cereal. You just love when things are dynamic and always changing. Transitions sometimes are, are welcome, sometimes they create anxiety, sometimes transitions create suspicion, like what's going on, what is God up to here, you become suspicious, you might become suspicious of God, you might become suspicious of other people, sometimes life doesn't feel like an endless series of transitions, you ever feel that way, like there's no straight line, it's all curves, like, I just want to get on the straight line that's this way for a long time. But just as soon as you get, like, on a straight line, then a transition comes. And then as soon as you get on another straight line, another transition comes. You're, you're saying goodbye to a person or a season of life. Really, at the same time, you're saying hello to a person or a new season of life. The poem in Ecclesiastes expresses this continuous series of transitions so beautifully. I'll read part of it to you. There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what has been planted, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to embrace a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up searching, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend. I think if you give your testimony to somebody, probably the transitions are like chapter titles, right? I, I was here and then something happened, and then I was here, or I moved, or I met, or something. The transitions of your life are sort of like these chapter titles, and then you fill in the details underneath. A young woman notices changes in the rhythm of her body. She visits the doctor. He confirms what she already knows. She's pregnant. It's a great transition. It's wonderful. Yet her body and her life are no longer her own. This cord that connects her to her child never really gets cut. Joy will be coupled with sacrifice in this great transition. Some of us know this right now because we're at the end of a school year and some are preparing for college. In a blink of an eye, that little child turns into a high school senior. 
you just can't believe how much time has passed so quickly and you're, you're moving your child off to college or maybe boot camp or into their own apartment for the first time and that moment of saying goodbye is awkward. I've, I've felt that as a child and I've felt that as a, a parent. When my mom sent me to, we drove me down to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. We got all things unpacked into my dorm room. We kind of walked around a little bit, and then it was time for her to go, but she just didn't know how to exit. Right? She's just, she, there's nothing for her to do with a bunch of 18 year old guys in a dorm room, but she's a little five foot one lady just kind of wandering around. <laughs> because that transition for her, for her was a loss. For me, liberty. <laughs> I mean, it was the same transition, but there were two different feelings. And don't you have that a lot of times with transitions? You feel like, well, something's getting lost here, even though something's getting gained or I'm gaining something in the process. That's how transitions work. Right now, we're in, a, we're in our own season of transitions at Christ Community Church. If you receive the newsletter... You read about some wonderful people transitioning off and on to the church staff. A couple of weeks ago, very surprisingly to us, Olivia Spain, who stood here week after week, most of you know, everyone has seen, she decided to walk down a different career path, which we were happy for that, but we're mostly sad about that. I mean, we're happy for her. It feels like a door's opening for her, but it wasn't a door we wanted to have open. So we love Olivia. We wish her the best on her new adventure, but sometimes transitions are surprising. Josh and Katie Waltman, youth pastor and college pastor, Josh was. And over the course of the last eight months, we just discovered that his passions and gifts aren't the right fit for our ministry here with college and youth. And so it was time to make a transition. It's difficult, challenging. But he's going to be in a place, Lord willing, that will be a place where he can really bear fruit in a more productive way than he could here. But transitions are, are disappointing sometimes. They're not what you anticipated. They cost something. Brooke Holdsworth, many of you know Brooke and Matt Holdsworth. She does communications here. Does a, such a wonderful job. She's has just graduated, and Matt is graduating in May. They're moving to UVA, and he's going to become uh, a minister on the RUF staff, Reform University Fellowship, starting in August. It's exciting. But we love Matt and Brooke. We just want them to stay here forever. But they're, 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 our loss is their liberty. They, they're getting a chance to move out and do something that they feel like God's called them to, and we're excited about that for them. Mostly, I find transitions are costly. They come with some mix of emotions, for sure. But whether you're giving birth to new life or you're giving birth to some new freedom or you're giving birth to some new direction, something gets lost. Something is hard to change. And so Acts chapter 1, which I'm going to read the first 11 verses, is a big transition moment for us, for the, for the New Testament, and, and especially for us. Let's read it together. In the first book, this is the book of Luke, because he's writing Luke and Acts. O Theopolis, this is the person he's writing it to, both these books. 
I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, the ascension, which we talked about last week. And after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. Jesus appeared to them over 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come, into the, come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, as we try to put ourselves in the shoes of these disciples at a massive fork in the road in human history, their call, their transitions are transitions that are still need to be made by us. Transitions we're still called to be a part of. So help us here as your 21st century disciples heard as the first century. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The disciples are gathered around Jesus and it seemed like old times. He's talking about the kingdom of God. This is the same thing he's been talking about all of his life. Yet the disciples were not surprised. They have no clue what's going on. I mean, they're here. They, they understand some pieces of it, but there's a part of God's plan that they don't see yet. And you see it in verse 6. They ask Jesus, hey, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are we going to finally get our power back? Are we going to get to be the king of the hill we talked about last week? And the disciples don't realize it, and it's understandable that they're in the middle of this momentous transition. They were thinking backwards, like we're going to do something like we did before, and Jesus is thinking forward and saying, no, these, these things are helpful, but we're not going to carry them forward. It's something new is going to take place. The disciples' thinking was limited in several ways, first limited geographically. These 11 Jewish men had just been locked in on this little triangle called Israel or this little rectangle called Israel. And they, they just wanted to minister inside this little tiny window. And that was the call. And the, the idea was that people would come through Israel and meet their God and then move out into the world. That was the Old Testament plan. But the New Testament plan is this little window is going to break open. And instead of people coming to them, you're going to go to them just like Christ came to us. They were limited ethnically. They won't be limited to the little window of Jewish men and women. They'll be weaving their lives together with the customs and lives of Samaritans, of the Romans, the actual enemies. Even Gentiles. We're grateful for that because we're Gentiles. 
We're so glad that that window got broken so we could hear the good news of the gospel. And these people would actually learn to love and lay down their lives for their enemies. Big transition. They were also limited in regards to power. We've talked about this. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, but it's not the same kind of power as the world. It's not going to be political or military power. It's not going to be popularity or prosperity power. No, it's going to, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon the disciples and, and, and not enable them to rise to the top, but to reach the bottom. Just want to make sure you understand that, and I do too. When you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's not to get to the top. It's to be able to live at the bottom. It's not, the Holy Spirit's not equipping us to preserve our lives or our customs or our comfort. Instead, it's empowering us to lay down our lives, to lay down our customs, to lay down our comforts. And this morning, I want to look at three transitions. I've, I've called it the test of transition. These are, there's so many in the book of Acts, but there's three I want to highlight today that I think would have been very challenging for the disciples. And the first one is in Acts chapter 2. And I really love this picture. I wish I could have had a, uh, an iPhone back then and snapped a picture of this little moment. In chapter 2, in verses 1 through 4, <clears throat> they were told to wait on the Holy Spirit, and it's going to come down on them. And Luke describes that in these first four verses. And they're able to miraculously speak in tongues, meaning they can speak a language that's known to the world. It's just unknown to them be like if I started speaking Japanese right now. I don't know it, but if you were from Japan, you would know it. You would hear it. And that what, what happened is they went out into the streets, and there were people gathered from all kinds of uh, geographic areas, and they began to speak in their languages, and they were like, I can't believe it. This guy knows my language. It was a reverse of Babel back in Genesis 11. Now, when this happens, and this is a critical moment, verse 14, people looked at them and thought they were drunk. Hey, I mean, they woke up a little early and started hitting the bottle, and look what's happened. I mean, they're speaking gibberish because we don't understand them, and, and they've just had too much to drink. And you can just imagine these 12 disciples coming out in this massive crowd. It's, it's a big festival, and everybody's looking at them, and some of them are understanding their language, but a lot of people are saying, hey, they're having a little bit too much to drink. Well, what are they going to do? Verse 14. Let me just read verse 12. And they were amazed and perplexed. They were saying to each other, what does this mean? But others in the crowd, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, let's just stop right there. You feeling good? Mm -mm. Right? I mean, but Peter, as soon as you read that, you're like, oh, no. I mean, not Peter. I mean, he just, he's just had a, 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 just a complete meltdown a few days before. Let's just try another disciple. I mean, any other disciple will do. Let's just not get Peter. Because he, he withered and folded underneath the gaze of an 11-year-old girl near a campfire. How's he going to do when this massive crowd is saying, hey, he's been drinking too much? It just doesn't look like a good choice. But here's the, here's the picture I want. But Peter, thankfully, comma, standing with the, the eleven, lifted up his voice. That's a great verse. 
It's like they were all sitting down and pressure comes on. And it's kind of like if you think of a, a bench in a game, a soccer match or a basketball game, everybody's sort of sitting on the bench and they see a challenge and what do they all do? They all leap to their feet at the same time. And all 11 of them are like, are we, re- are we really going to do this? And they all look, and Peter starts, and they all follow. It would be such a beautiful picture to see. And he lifts up his voice above the crowd and says, I'm going to tell you about Jesus no matter the cost. It's a great transition for Peter. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And when he teaches, many people positively respond to the gospel. But this courageous moment is a transition to courage, but this courage would prove to be costly for every one of these 11. Not in this day. Andrew crucified in an X-shaped cross. He was one that came off the seat that day. Nathaniel skinned alive. I mean, not on this day, because this day, lots of people responded. But on another day, they held him down and just took his skin off of him. James, one of the three, Peter, James, and John, he was the first one to go. He was beheaded. His brother, John, was dipped into boiling oil. Jude was beaten with a club, then crucified. Matthew, the great writer of the first gospel, staked to the ground and then speared. Peter was crucified upside down. Philip was impaled by iron hooks in his ankles and hung upside down. Thomas was thrust, thrust through by a spear. James was stoned to death. And Simon, Simon the zealot, sawn in half. See, this transition is going to be costly for the disciples. It's going to take great courage. In in a few minutes, our friend Chris is going to come give us a little testimony. In the next uh, service, we're going to have two other guys and and some young children, really, 8, 10, 12 years old. And I pray this won't happen to you, Chris, or to any of our people, but there will be a day, Chris, for you and everyone else. You're going to have to stand up. And it's going to be costly. It might be at a holiday meal. It might be with your boss and the way you do your your work compared to other work. It might be if you're on a teammate or a roommate or a club team. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that at some point you're just going to have to say, I'm not going that way. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. And then people are going to mock you. And you're going to be at some point on the outside, and you're going to have to say, that's okay. Transitions, they're costly. But for new birth, for new freedoms for people, it always takes somebody laying down their life. Acts chapter 6, very intriguing test. The disciples have been preaching now for some time, and the people were increasing it says in chapter 6, verse 1, Now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. And what happened is a complaint came to them by the Hellenists. This is the Greeks. 
It rose against the Hebrews. So we've got the outsiders, the Greeks, and the insiders, the Hebrews. Because these two groups of widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Something was happening between these two impoverished group of women. And most people think what was happening was the insiders were getting the food first and the outsiders kind of got left over. You can imagine that. Hey, this is my mother, or this is my, you know, aunt, or this is my. So, we, you know, we're we're you know we're all Hebrews here, so let's make sure they get something first. And of course, we want to help everybody, but it's kind of a leftover thing. So here they are, the disciples. What a test! Church is growing rapidly. They're just preaching the gospel, but at the same time, now they're having to do, deal with issues of poverty and prejudice. What would they do? Well, there's many temptations here. Number one, they could have just said, this is a problem. It's a real problem. Poverty and prejudice is a problem. We hate it. But we just don't have time to deal with it. I mean, we're preachers of the gospel, and this is a primary thing, and we hope they get help. We want them to get help, but it's just not our deal. It's just we're not, That's not the lane we're running in. That would be something they could have done. Or they could have just said, okay, full stop. Look, people got to eat. Let's pause the teaching and try to address these social ills. Try to, try to get them fixed before we go on preaching. Very easy thing to do. Thankfully, the solutions the disciples came up, to, what if, up with is they knew they had to be involved with both. If they lost their voice in teaching or they lost their ability to, to address the real needs of the crowd, they just lose their voice completely. And so they got a group of people that eventually became deacons to try to solve some of these issues around poverty and prejudice as they went along and preached the gospel. It's a tension today. How do we deal with it as a church? How does the church at large deal with poverty and prejudice still today? In the 1960s, in a now famous letter, Martin Luther King wrote from the Birmingham jail, he faced this problem. Frustrated that the white church wouldn't get on board with what was obvious poverty and prejudice issues. And so he writes this beautifully in his letter. I've looked up at the South's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. I've beheld the impressive outlines of her massive education buildings. Over and over I found myself asking, what kind of people worship here? Who is their God? Where are their voices of support when bruised and weary Negro men and women decide to rise from the dark dungeons of complacency to the bright hills of creative protest? If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, the willingness to stand up against these hard things, it will lose its authenticity, it will lose its voice it will be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for our century. See, this is a test. It's a test in the first century. It's a test today. How do we deal with these things? How do we continue to proclaim the gospel and yet work against these things in our society? Whatever we do, however we get involved, I just want you to know that if you're going to get involved with the truth, poverty, and justice, it's going to be costly. 
There's just no easy, comfortable way to get involved with it. It's not something you can just kind of put money into and walk away. It's something you have to get personally involved with in a way, and it's going to be costly. Tough transition for these guys. Third one I want to point out is in Acts chapter 10, and I think this piggybacks with Acts 6 and really is the most difficult transition for the disciples then and I think the disciples now. Peter, again, he's been preaching. He's visiting a certain town. He goes up on a rooftop, Acts chapter 10, verse 9, to take a nap. Verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw heaven, the heavens open up. And something like a great sheet was descending being let down by its four corners on the earth. And inside the sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. And there came this voice from heaven, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. These were all animals that were unclean to the Jewish mindset, Jewish customs. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And then the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And as soon as that was over, a Roman soldier knocked at his door. See, it wasn't about food, it was about people. And we're trying to break this barrier now between Jew and Roman, or Jew and Gentile. And there's, a, there's customs that are setting a barrier. There might be language, there might be food, there might be a dress code that are, and we can't allow those things to become barriers to the gospel. And so Paul Peter's having to learn this. It's, a, it's an epic transition. God's calling for the transition away from a homogeneous church to a heterogeneous church. He's calling from a transition away from uniformity to diversity. Why? Everybody who's read Revelation knows this. There'll be one last supper, and who's going to be there? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So what's going to be in the end, Jesus is saying, I'd like for it to see it now. I mean, you can't reach every single person, but I'd like to see that diversity, that, that, uh, that, that every tribe and tongue around the table as much as you can in your local churches. And that's a difficult transition. And he calls on Peter, the leader, to take the first step. He goes into Cornelius' house, the Roman soldier. He preaches the gospel. And this Roman soldier becomes his brother. The occupier of his own nation becomes his brother in Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. And a little crack in the wall of hostility is, starts... When Peter returns to his hometown, you won't be surprised what he faced. What do you think he heard when he got home? Criticism. Hey, we, Peter, hey, word came that you had, you went into a Roman's house and ate. No, I mean, please tell us that's not right. Well, it is right. But that little conversation buried in Peter struck a chord of fear. My friends and my family won't like that. 
So there was another time he got around the table of, of Gentiles and Jewish people came in and he withdrew from them and didn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Why? He was just afraid. Just like you and I might be. I mean, if I associate with them, what my friends think? Fortunately, the Apostle Paul saw it and Paul stood up. He stood up to Peter. He says this in Galatians 2, your conduct is not in step with the gospel. You see how this is, it's a gospel issue. Paul could have said, it's not in step to what Jesus wants, which is fine, but no, it's really a gospel issue. It's not like a side issue. This actually turns into a main issue, according to the apostle Paul, because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. I interviewed a couple wanting to join Christ Community Church. We had this large uh, inquirers class, some of you remember, about a month ago, 55 people came. So it was this huge class, and so the elders, myself, different, uh, different ones of us sort of peel off and interview couples or individuals wanting to join. And this particular interview was different than any other interview I've done in the 21 years I've been here. Now, I started the church when I was nine, so I'm just 30 right now. Um, what was different is the couple couldn't speak English. So they'll be the first couple to join that can't speak English. And so we had to have an interpreter, and it was challenging. But when I walked away, you know what I thought? Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I didn't understand a word you said. But it was beautiful. It was just this tiniest slice of seeing something much bigger than what I normally see in my everyday life. That there are people who have totally different customs, totally different food habits, totally different language. But that doesn't have to be a barrier for the gospel. But if you and I want to get involved with that community, and we are, it's costly cost something cost time it cost attention <coughs> it costs resources it's costly on the other side imagine you being the one who broke that barrier and you come into our group as wonderful as our group is to sit and say I, you know only two or three people i can talk to in this whole congregation that'd be that'd be costly if you want to give life to something Something has to be laid down. That's what transitions are about. And fortunately, we're not left on our own. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit, and we've been given the life of Christ. Who made the biggest transition? Left all the glory of heaven to come to earth. Think of, just try to imagine the transition he made. This divine being comes down and locks himself into time, locks himself into a body that can be wounded, that can be hurt, that needs sleep, that needs food. He has to take on certain customs. And why did he do it? To come to you, to come to me. And then he, in Acts chapter 11, says, hey, you've seen what I did? You, you know the distance I've traveled? Now you go, your turn. Turn around, 
and travel some distance. Now, it may just be to your neighbor, but, but just be willing to travel across some, some uncertain terrain with the gospel. And, and you may preach, and they may be saved. That happens with Peter. You may preach, and you may be crucified. That happens to Peter. But because I've done it, Jesus says, you go. And in the end, we'll all be together around one table. Let's pray. Lord, as we move to a verbal proclamation and we get to see a, a visible proclamation in the table, and we, we just watch people, many that we don't know, just stream up here, we look at them, and know that we're, we're all going to sit at one table one day. We're going to know each other's names. We're going to be able to speak the same language, and we're going to be with you. We're going to hear a testimony from, from our brother Chris. We're going to see a baptism. Would you use these visible expressions to burn into our minds and our souls the truth about Jesus? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.